The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So if you could push a magic button and by doing that instantly create our reputation in this community, what reputation would you want to create? See, if I could do that, I would want everybody who looks at Faith Troy, who looks at us from the outside, I want everybody from this community and all of the communities that each of us live in and that we work in, I would want everyone in all of those communities, when they look at us from the outside, to think, okay, those people, those Faith Troy people, those people are some of the most compassionate, some of the most generous, some of the most caring people that I've ever heard about or that I've ever had the privilege to actually be around. And I don't know if I believe everything that they believe, and I don't know if I I agree with everything that they teach. I don't know that I believe about Jesus, all the things that they believe about Jesus, but I am so glad that group of people are here and that they are a part of this community. If I could push a button and create our reputation in this community amongst people that might never set foot inside of this building and who do not believe what we believe, if I could create that reputation amongst that group of people, that would be the reputation that I would want to create. That people from the outside, that they would look at us and they would say, okay, those people, those Faith Troy people, they truly want something for us, not something from us. They want something for this community, not something from this community. If I could, that would be the reputation that I would want to create for us in this community, and here's why. Because 2,000 years ago when the church began, long before there were Bibles or bands or buildings, the church began around these two incredible ideas of compassion and generosity. It was the only platform that the first century church had. They didn't write books. They didn't write articles. There were no podcasts. The only thing that the followers of Jesus had in the first century were these two ideas that came directly from the teachings of Jesus and which were, in fact, in very, very stark contrast to what it is that the Roman culture and the Roman world believed in at that time. Because at that time, the Romans believed in what was known as the pantheon of gods. They actually believed that the universe was ruled by a council of 12 different gods. And these gods could not care less about people because for them, people were nothing more than playthings. And so consequently, the people in the first century, they simply adopted the views and the values of those gods that they worshipped. Which meant that in the first century, there was almost no compassion. There was almost no generosity. In the first century, women had no rights. Most children were viewed as nothing more than a burden. Might made right, which meant that if you had the power and if you had the money, you could basically treat other people any way that you wanted to. Not only was slavery acceptable, but slaves were not even thought of as people. There was no such thing as a human right. And it was into this incredibly violent and incredibly non-generous and non-compassionate world that Jesus began to teach an unheard of message of compassion and generosity because Jesus actually taught that all people, all men, all women, all children, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their background, that all of them were actually made in the image of God. And so because of that, Every single person that you will ever be eyeball to eyeball with, every single person that you will ever meet, all of them, Jesus said, they have incredible inherent values. And these ideas 
These ideas, they were so new and they were so radical and they were so contrary to everything that existed in the culture of those days. But those first century followers of Jesus, they grabbed hold of these ideas. They embraced them. And these ideas became the very thing that actually gave them influence in their world. Now today we are wrapping up our series together talking about the subject of how God views our money, God and our money. And so if you are with us for the first time today, then you are coming in at the very tail end of the movie. But the good news is that you can actually go to our website. You can catch up on the parts that you've missed. You can also rewatch or share any of the parts that maybe were meaningful to you or you think might be meaningful to somebody else. And, and again, really the whole idea for this series that we've been in these last couple of weeks is actually pretty simple. Because when you open up the New Testament, what you discover is that Jesus, he actually taught more about money than heaven. Now, that might surprise you, that might not surprise you, because you might think that all preachers ever talk about is money, I have no idea, right? But what is surprising is that in all these teachings, Jesus never asked anybody to give him any money. And so really what we've done over these last couple of weeks is ask the question, okay, then what was he up to? I mean, if he spent all that time teaching, what was it that Jesus was after? What was it about money that Jesus actually wanted all of us to understand? And so in the first week, we began by asking kind of this big question that's really obvious and yet most of us don't ever ask. And we asked simply the question, how is it that God actually views money? And we discover, we discovered together that God, he views money differently than many of us do because God, he actually sees money as a tool to impact people for eternity, In fact, money, we learned, is not an end. Money is actually a means that goes beyond our end. And since it goes beyond our end, then the real question is actually who? Right? Who are we managing it for? Because clearly, if we're leaving it behind, then clearly we don't own it. Clearly, we are simply managing it. So really, the question is, who are we managing it for? And then in the second week of our series, um, the, the truth that we discovered about money is that if we do not learn how to use money the way that God views money then ultimately money is going to end up using us because we said the thing that's natural for all of us to do, the natural way for any of us to actually handle our money is to do this. It's to live on everything that comes our way and if there's any left over after that, then maybe I'll save some of it and then if there's any left after that or I see somebody who is really in need or maybe I just feel guilty about how much I have, then maybe I'll send some of it their way. But we said the problem that actually comes from us doing this is that we actually end up living with this. And we said no amount of money actually addresses any of these things. The only thing that actually addresses these these three things is management. And so Jesus, he actually invites us to manage our money and in his other's first kingdom in a way that kind of looks like this. That we would actually give first. We would save for our kingdom second, and then we would live on what's left over. Because as followers of Jesus, in Jesus' other's first kingdom, we actually prioritize somebody else above ourselves. Because this is evidence of submission. This is tangible proof, right? There there is a you above you that you are accountable to. And so last week, for all of those of you who are followers of Jesus and who who do not already do this, I challenged you to actually do this for the last two months of 2019, to actually do this. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you're not in any way obligated to do this. This is optional for you. 
but we said that you might want to consider it simply because for all of us who do this, the outcome of this is actually the same for all of us because, again, you know this. Giving always results in joy, right? You know this. You've experienced it. And saving, it results in peace. And when you actually live on the rest, what you experience is freedom because you are, in fact, financially free. And this is what Jesus wants all of us to experience. In fact, this is what Jesus promises to give to all of us. It's what money can never give to us. And it's what it is that we experience. This is what we experience in our Heavenly Father's Other's First Kingdom. And so today, as we wrap up our series together, we are going to discover the third truth that Jesus wants us to understand about our money. But to understand that truth and to discover it, we have to listen to something that Jesus said. So open up your Bibles, turn in them to Luke chapter 6. If you're using one of those Bibles either in front of you or behind you, you can actually find that on page 1601. Now, these verses that we're going to look at together this morning, for many of us probably, these are words that we've heard before. Uh, Maybe for some of us, these are words that we've heard many times. And so the truth is, the difficult thing about these words is that if we've heard them a lot, we can almost become immune to them, right? They almost just kind of, we hear them and they almost bounce off of us in some way. And yet, if you could actually imagine hearing these words, um, living in the kind of culture that that more oftentimes than not, when a baby girl was born, she was actually discarded rather than loved. The kind of culture where to just be a woman was inherently dangerous, regardless of the class of society that you were actually a part of. She was into that world that Jesus spoke these amazing words when he says this in verse 32, if you love those who love you, right, which is what we all do, right? I mean, the worst person you know loves the person and they love the people who who love them. If you love those who love you, Jesus says, what credit is that to you? To which we would ask, okay, Jesus, what, what do you mean what credit is that to us? And Jesus would say, well, listen, even sinners, right, even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that, right? Even the worst people you know do that. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, treating good people good and treating good the people who do good to you, that's just what everybody does. That's what tax collectors do. Roman soldiers do that. The, the people that you actually have no respect for, Jesus would say, they do that. Everybody does that. That's what's normal. That's what's, what's average. He continues. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment in full, what credit is that to you? To which we might say to Jesus, okay, wait a minute, Jesus, time out here, hang on. Maybe you don't understand the concept of a loan, Jesus, right? The whole concept of a loan is I'm going to loan somebody something and then they're going to pay me back. Jesus, that's how it works. I'm going to loan them, they're going to repay me. But Jesus says, no, listen, listen. If you only loan to those people that you know can actually pay you back, even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid In full, Jesus says, that's normal. That's what everybody does. That's the lowest common denominator, Jesus would say. And see, you're my followers. I don't want you to just be average. I don't want you to just be like everybody else. No, I want, if you're going to be one of my followers, I want you to take you beyond what is average. I want to take you beyond 
what's just simply normal. And these next words that Jesus spoke, right? it's hard to comprehend hearing these words and how powerful these words were in the first century, how revolutionary these next words were. But it was these next words that actually became the foundation for what would ultimately impact our entire world because Jesus said this, but you, but you as my followers, I want you to love your enemies. And see, when we hear this word enemies, we think like enemies in a war, right? But that's not actually what Jesus meant by this word. Enemies in this context means anybody that you disagree with. It means anybody that you don't get along with. It means that whole sense of, okay, Thanksgiving is coming, right? Oh, no, Christmas is coming. Oh, no, I'm going to have to see them again. I'm going to have to see him again. I'm going to have to see her again. And so Jesus says, listen, I want you to love your enemies. And let me be very clear about what exactly that means. He says, I want you to do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And again, you've heard these words before, right? We've heard these words before. But when Jesus actually spoke these words for that first time in the first century, I mean, this is when his audience, they actually let out an audible gasp because it was like, okay, you're kidding, right, Jesus? I mean, who actually does that? I mean, who is actually that generous? I mean, who actually gives to people knowing they're not going to give back? Who actually lends to someone knowing they're not ever going to get repaid? I mean, who would actually walk up to someone that they don't even like and actually say to them, okay, hey, what good could I do for you? Right? I I know that we don't get along well. I know that maybe you don't respect me, but what could I do for you that's good? I mean, I know doing good for you isn't going to change the way that you view me, but what good could I do for you anyway? And see, Jesus says, listen, don't miss this. Jesus says, when that happens... Right in verse 35, he says, when that happens, then you will be, your reward, he says, it will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because, right, because. So don't miss this. In other words, Jesus says, listen, when you develop the habit of doing good for those who can't do good for you, of actually doing good for those who won't do good for you, of actually doing good for those who, who maybe do not even know what better that could be done for them. When you become that kind of a giver, Jesus says, when you become that kind of a person, you will be children of the Most High because God, he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Right, so Jesus says, listen, when you are kind and compassionate, when you're generous to people who cannot do anything for you and, and people who do not like you, you're being exactly like your heavenly father, Jesus would say, because that is exactly what your heavenly father does. Now, quick question for you this morning, right? When Jesus says that God is actually kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, who is Jesus talking about? Who are the ungrateful and the wicked? Right, it's me, isn't it? Right. It's us. Right? Because let's be honest. I mean, isn't it true that for many of us, we grew up knowing about God, but we didn't necessarily live lives of gratefulness to God? I mean, isn't it true for many of us, we generally grew up believing in God, but we did not live lives of gratitude 
towards God? I mean, isn't it true that for every single one of us here today, that there have been moments in our lives, there have been weekends in our lives, there have been spring breaks in our lives when we knew what we were doing was wrong, but we planned it, we bought airline tickets, we did it anyway? Right? Isn't that true? And see, Jesus says, listen, your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father has been merciful, and he has been kind, and he has been gracious to you even when you were ungrateful. And so now Jesus says, I want you to do for the ungrateful, and I want you to do for the wicked, and I want you to do for your enemy. I want you to do for them what your heavenly Father has done for you. In other words, Jesus says, I want you as my followers to be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And see, this word merciful, it can also be translated as compassionate. And it literally means to move towards those or to lean in towards those who don't know, know, can't do for themselves, who won't do for themselves, even those who don't know what better to do for themselves. Jesus says, as my followers, I want you to be merciful and compassionate, just like your heavenly Father is merciful and compassionate. And see, this is what's so amazing about this. If you know your history, then you know this. These first century followers of Jesus, they took this teaching to heart. Right? This is the only thing they had. They had no voice. They had no platform. This is the only means of influence that they had in their world. And they began to actually live out these values of compassion and generosity and mercy. And so they began to walk the banks of rivers, picking up these children who had been abandoned and bring them into their home. And they would raise them and care for them as their own. Very quickly in the first century, the safest place that a woman could ever hope to be was to be married to a man who was a follower of Jesus because that man actually understood that one day he was going to stand in front of his heavenly father and he was going to give an account for how it is that he treated his wife and his children. It was the followers of Jesus who began to move through their communities and they would bring the sick people in the community into their homes, even the people with leprosy. They no longer feared disease because they believed that there was an actual heaven. And they believed that Jesus, through his physical resurrection, had provided a way to heaven for them personally. They no longer feared death. They no longer feared disease. These first century followers of Jesus, through their compassion and their generosity, they literally changed the course of our world forever. And it was not preaching, it was not buildings, it was not writings. It was because of the extraordinary generosity and compassion. Not just to their own kind. right? Don't miss that. Not just to other followers of Jesus, but to people who were not like them, people who did not like them, and people who would never, ever, ever pay them back. And see, history actually tells us that within just 300 years, right, and I get it, for us 300 years sounds like an eternity, but in terms of history, 300 years is just like that. In 300 years, history tells us that, that this took these followers of Jesus, that this moved throughout the entire Roman Empire. And the entire Roman Empire, which up until this time, for a thousand years before Jesus had been worshiping this pantheon of gods, within just 300 years, the Roman Empire, they embraced Jesus as the one and only Son of the Most High God. 
And it was not because of preaching and it was not because of teaching. It was because of the extraordinary generosity and compassion of these first century followers of Jesus. In fact, again, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. But in 360 AD, there's actually a Roman emperor by the name of Julian. And see, Julian's claim to fame is that he actually thought the whole Jesus thing had gone too far. And so what Julian did is he tried to reconvert or deconvert um, the Roman Empire from worshiping Jesus to going back and worshiping the old pantheon of, of Roman gods. And so what he did is he personally funded a massive building campaign all throughout the Roman Empire to rebuild these old Roman temples and to try to get people excited about worshiping those gods again. But his, his whole campaign was a miserable failure. In fact, we actually have a number of the letters that he wrote where he's complaining about the fact that the only obstacle, the thing standing in his way, the thing that prevented him from accomplishing his goal is that those followers of Jesus, they're just too darn generous. They're just too compassionate to actually compete with. In fact, this is what he wrote in a couple of these letters. He said this, the recent Christian growth was caused by their moral character, right? Even if pretended, he said, because he didn't believe that anybody could actually be that good. So he figured you all had to be faking it. And by their benevolence towards strangers. In another letter, he writes this. He says, the impious Galileans, that's you, right? That's the followers of Jesus. He said, the impious Galileans, they support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people, they lack aid from us. And remember, remember, this is just one little shred of evidence as to what actually happens when the followers of Jesus embrace these ideas of compassion and generosity that Jesus actually introduced to the world, this is what gave the church its traction. And see, the truth is, somewhere along the way, the church in America, we lost some of that. But it's time that we get that back. One of the things, one of the things that I've always loved about this church is that you have always been a group of people that have, have understood what, the, what we're talking about today, and this has always been a part of who you are. In fact, if you were here with us last year, if you took part last year in our four campaign, then you were a part of actually being a miracle for the people up at Victory Lutheran in Marquette, because last year you gave away the largest amount of money that we have ever given away in our history. You gave away more than 28000 dollars to support the people, the families, and the children up at Victory who are literally dependent on that ministry to survive. One of the reasons why I love our church so much is because you've always understood that the foundation of making inroads into culture, right, and actually being the hands and feet of Jesus, it's not just about sermons and songs, that it is about compassion and generosity, Right? And when we, as the followers of Jesus, when we actually get this right, we shine like stars in the sky. So here's what we're going to do today as we wrap up this series together this weekend. I'm going to ask you to do a couple of very specific things. 
Starting next weekend, we're going to have a two-week mini-series, and we're going to talk about the different opportunities that we have here in this community and throughout our world to impact people with the good news of Jesus. After each one of those Sunday morning services, so four different times, there's going to be a brief informational meeting in the gym. I want you to go to one of those meetings. Going doesn't commit you to anything. I just want you to hear what God is actually doing through you and what he is doing through this place. Now, for many years, one of those trips has been to Haiti, where our church has operated a medical dental clinic for years and years, serving some of the poorest of the poor. And again, you may know this, you may not. But in our world today, in Haiti, about 50%, a little bit more than 50% of the population, think about this for a moment, they live on $2.20 per month, right? That's the income for 50% of the population in Haiti. Well, our medical team was planning on being there just about a month from now, but unfortunately, we recently got word from, our, from the pastor we work with, the missionary we work with, um, to cancel that trip. They advised us to cancel it because of the extreme levels of violence that are actually taking place all throughout the nation of Haiti right now. Schools have not opened yet this year. Um, most hospitals are closed because they do not have electricity. 80% of all government buildings have, have been closed. Public transportation is shut down. Most business activity has stopped, which has led to widespread layoffs, which is just further compounding the cycle of, of chronic poverty that has been endemic in Haiti for so many years. But meanwhile, at the same time, the pastor that we work with, Pastor Kessa, the missionary that we work with, the two organizations that we support there, um, the Jacmel Lutheran Home and the Center for Refuge Orphanage, they're still operating, they're still caring for people, and they are still in need of assistance. And so I want us to help with them and help with that. But see, not only them, because while all of us undoubtedly are hearing about the incredible changes happening in the city of Detroit, probably you've seen some of the amazing changes that are taking place in our own community, what has not changed in the city of Detroit is the infant mortality rate. The infant mortality rate in the city of Detroit today, right now, is the same as that of many third world nations. And the cycle of poverty and homelessness that causes that incredibly high infant mortality rate, it also drives human trafficking, particularly among young teenage girls. And so I want us to help with both of those situations as well, because as we wrap up our series today, there is one final truth about money that Jesus wants us to understand, which is that generosity is the trademark of Jesus' followers because it speaks volumes about who and whose we are. And so I want us to help with all three of those things. And see, the great news is this, that since last year, there has been no increase in price due to inflation, right? So the first thing I'm asking everyone for is a one-time gift of 1995. That's right, for one easy payment of 1995, you too can change the world, Right? And again, you can give more if you want. I'm not going to stop you from doing that. But I want to keep the price low because, see, the truth is I want every single person to participate. I want every adult participating. I want every student participating. Okay, Everybody, I want all of you. I want all of you to participate. Because if we do this, if we all contribute our 1995, we will in fact raise more than $20,000, and that will allow us to not only help in Haiti, but to also help with two amazing ministries right here in our very own backyard that are working to help and do critical work amongst women and children in the city of Detroit. Those two ministries are Ellie's House 
and the Luke Project 5-2 Clinic. Now, Ellie's House is a nonprofit that some of you may be familiar with. It's led by Deb Ellinger, and they provide safe shelter, they provide housing, they provide medical support and counseling to women who are being trafficked and who are runaways in the city of Detroit right now. Now, the Luke Project 5-2 Clinic is actually led by Pastor Brad Garrison, an amazing team of medical personnel. And one of the primary reasons why the infant mortality rate in the city of Detroit is so high isn't because they don't have great medical care. We have some of the best medical care in the nation in our area. The issue is these poor women in Detroit, they cannot get to the care. And so what the Luke Project 5-2 Clinic does is so cool. They bring a fully furnished neonatal and infant care clinic into the poorest neighborhoods of Detroit, making gold standard medical care available to everyone. Right? And here's the thing. That's right. Now, here's the thing that I think is just so much fun about this. None of these organizations have any clue that we are actually doing this today. They have not asked us for any money. Um, Those of you who know anything about Ellie's house, you're sitting here going like, what's going on? Because they did not know. Deb does not know. So don't tell her, right? Don't tell her. It's our little secret. Let's just keep this to ourselves. And again, let me be very, very clear on this. We give it all away. We give it all away. There's no service charges. There's no handling fees. We give it all away. And if everyone contributes, we can raise $20,000. We can do that in a day. We can do that today. And the second thing that I want every single one of you to do today as you leave this place is I want you to go into the gym today and I want you to adopt a child this year for Christmas through gifts for all God's children. And when you do that, When you adopt a child through gifts for all God's children, you are actually supporting the work and the ministry of all these organizations. And this is a really big deal, so please don't miss this. When you adopt one of these children, most of the time, the child that receives the gift that you buy, they receive that gift and the family receives that gift through the ministry of a local church. So when you adopt a child through, this, through Gifts for All God's Children, you are raising the reputation of the church in the community that these churches serve. And that is a big, big Deal. Now, last year I was super excited. We were able to partner with Victory Lutheran up in the UP. We adopted all their kids. This year we're also adopting all their kids. And I'm really excited that we have a brand new partner this year. It's House of Hope Ministry um, in Oxford. They, Alyssa and Brooke are the two amazing young women who have founded this ministry. Seventh graders, they are not a whole lot older than you. Do not let anyone tell you. that you cannot change this world. They're doing it. They're doing it in this community. You can do this. Jesus will do this through you. They have adopted a mobile home park where they both live and they serve, and they get, this is their vision. They are bringing Jesus into the lives of every person in this mobile home park, and they are doing it day in and day out where they serve. So I'm so thrilled that we have adopted them and brought them in to be a part of our, our Gifts for All God's Children campaign this year. And again, the bottom line is this. As followers of Jesus, this is what we're supposed to do because generosity, it is the trademark of Jesus' followers. So first, I want you to give your 1995 on the way out today and sponsor, and then second after that, I want you to sponsor a child through our Gifts for All Children campaign.
Now, you can give your 1995 at the door. Um, no, we're not going to make change for you. You can give it online. You can give it through our mobile app, right? You can give it today, or you can give it any time over the course of the next two weeks. And here's the part I love, and then we'll wrap up. When you participate in this, right, when you actually participate in this, you get credit in heaven, right? Jesus said it, not me. So listen, if you've got questions, ask him. You get credit in heaven, but see, the church, the church actually gets credit in the community, and this is such a big deal, okay? And you've heard me say this before, and I'll tell you why this matters. Because in America, everybody thinks something when they hear the word church. You know what they should think? They should think, listen, I don't know if I believe what they believe, and I don't know if I, I, I buy all of that, but i got to tell you, those church people, those followers of Jesus people, they are the most compassionate, the most generous, the most for-me people in our community. And those people, those church people, they make this community better. Because, see, the Apostle Paul was right, and when we get this right, we shine like stars in the sky, not for the sake of ourselves, no, for the sake of our Heavenly Father who loves and who cares for everyone. And so he sent his son into this world to die for everyone, to reconcile them, to bring them into a relationship with himself. That's why we're here. That's why we do this. It is a big, big deal. So that every person can know, so that every person can believe that they too have a Savior named Jesus. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I pray that for every single person here in this place this morning, as they hear those words, Father, as we hear these amazing words of your son Jesus. Father, I pray that every person here would actually know how valuable they are, how loved they are, how incredibly important they are to you and to us. Father, that we would all know that you do not want something from us that all you want is something for us. You want us to know that your son Jesus has died on the cross, that he has given his life for us, for our freedom, so that we would have peace, so that we would experience joy, and so that we would know that we are actually free from the power of fear and free even from the power of death. And Father, as your church, we know that None of us, none of us, especially me, Father, we all know that we are in no way perfect. And yet, Father, you don't ask us to be perfect. You simply ask us to trust you and to take the message of who Jesus is into the world and into the lives of everyone we know. And so, Father, I pray and I ask that in these next few moments as we personally and silently confess our sin to you, Father, perhaps we might hear from you who it is that we can share that good news of Jesus with. The good news of the gospel is that your heavenly Father's kindness, it never runs out. Your heavenly Father's compassion, it never runs out. Your heavenly Father's generosity, it never runs out for you. And so you are truly forgiven in Jesus' name.
Amen.